Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and we're having these conversations. We had the conversation last week about the American bullies and kind of this concept that so few of the breeds that we know today were, as I say, burst from the head of Zeus, right? Most of our dogs that we know were created somewhere along the way. Some of them are more recent. And, you know, there's a conversation to be had about these created crosses, why they were created, what the goals are, what the history and the purpose of the crosses are, and how that progress is going into creating a whole new purebred dog. So I have with me Ashlyn Hill, who is involved in Silken Wind Hounds. She says she came through the herding breeds to Silken Wind Hound pipeline, which I think is adorable. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. Trupanion can give you peace of mind knowing your pet is covered in the event of an unexpected accident or illness. Even better, Trupanion can pay your veterinarian directly and has no payout limits, so you'll never have to choose between what's best for your pet and what's best for your wallet. And if you're a breeder, you can join Trupanion's free breeder support program and get a special offer to share with your puppy buyers that waives all the waiting periods, so coverage goes into effect immediately. And when I was at the garden this summer, I was hanging out with Trupanion and I got a chance to catch up with Cindy. She's a breeder who's a member of Trupanion's breeder support program. And she shared the following testimonial with us. She said that Trupanion has been the best and saved me thousands of dollars. My puppy buyers love it and I hope they always stick with it. A dog is never going to have an accident on payday. It's always when the money is tight. Cindy, you are dead on about that. So take a moment, guys. Sign up for Trupanion's free breeder support program now so you and your litters can be prepared for anything. Get started by heading over to my partner page, puredogtalk.com. And so welcome, Ashlyn. I'm really excited to have this conversation. We've reached episode 600 and we're kicking into the new era with all these spicy conversations. <laughs> so I'm really excited about doing that. I think there is an interesting and worthwhile conversation to be had. So welcome. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. And congratulations on your 600 episodes. <laughs> I'm exciting. very thrilled to be here. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. Yes. So talk to us about Silken Windhound specifically. What is the history of this particular cross? What was the purpose? You know, why was this developed? Yeah, so Silken Windhounds, if we're going back to the very beginning, we're looking at around the 1980s. Our breed founder is Francie Stoll. She had a pretty extensive history in Borzoi before she decided to take on this project of making a new breed. So in the early 1980s, she actually got 
the first dogs that she would use to produce silkens from Walter Wheeler. Walter Wheeler was well known in the Whippet community for having his long-haired Whippets. The credibility Some of this sort of resonates in the back of my head. Vaguely. Yeah. So okay, go ahead. Yes. So Walter Wheeler claims that he had, you know, purebred long-haired Whippets. You know, whether that is really true, we don't really know. We as Silken people, we say that they were lurchers. We very strongly believe that there was some Sheltie hiding back there because in Silkens today, we have CEA and MDR1 yeah. herding breed, you know. Yeah. So that's what our suspicion is. So we call them our lurchers. So Francie got several of these long-haired whippets from Walter Wheeler. Some of them were in whelp, and she used those to start making her own thing. I mean, it wasn't until about 1985 that she says her first litter of silken one hounds were born. This was when she had added in some borzoi and she finally created the vision of what she was looking for. And really what she was looking to produce with these lurchers and adding the borzoi and the little bit of the whippet history is that she's looking for a medium size, very elegant, very easy Sighthound, you know, just looking to fill that niche for something a little bit smaller, but not quite Italian greyhound sized. So that was really what she was just looking to produce. And the D litter, the crystal D litter is what she says was her first production of silkens. She made it. This is what she's looking for. And she took that and continued to breed on from there. So this is fascinating to me. Is she doing inbreeding, line breeding? And how is she accomplishing or how is the breed today accomplishing what is this 30 years later the consistency that you expect to see from a purebred dog yes there was a lot of line breeding mostly there were studs used several times you know we're, we're talking upwards of like seven eight nine ten eleven times we've got dogs being used so it was primarily a lot of line breeding on line breeding in the beginning but eventually we were able to create enough diversity to we're sending silkens out to europe we've got silkens in canada we've got other breeders participating you know once it kind of got bigger than francie that's when right. and this is you know only the late 90s right that's when we're starting to add more we're creating the board and we're able to take this and really just continue to breed on to what francie has produced and i really think that very early on, they were breeding true. You know, you look mm. at a very early picture of a mm. silken windhound, and I can look at that even as a project mm. dog and say, that looks like a silken. And so what makes a silken windhound its breed? So the ones that I've seen, I'm kind of like, is that an ugly borzoi? What are we doing? <laughs> right? So talk to me about what makes them their specific breed. What is their breed type? Yeah. So I think what makes a silken a silken is that size-wise, they should be, and I typically are, much smaller than a borzoi. We're talking about whippet size, slightly bigger than a whippet, slightly smaller than a borzoi. They have very long, easy to maintain coat. Personality-wise, they're a little more human-oriented, a little more biddable, willing to work. We do have silkens, and there's a range. So we have your more sight hound typical silkens where we're mm -hmm. talking like not a lot of repetition. The, mm -hmm. the training session mm -hmm. should be short and sweet. But then we also have silkens, and I've met several. Like I have a couple that are just like almost border collie like, and they're willing this to work, like just drill and drill and drill. Yeah. Interesting. So, so you they, see that herding 
bit coming through. Yes. And it's surprising, you know, how much that really seems to even still, because Shelty was only ever what was behind Walter Wheeler's dogs. There has never been any direct cross with Shelty to whip it, to whip it to Borzoi. Like that's never been in the history of a silken windhound. So it's just that little bit way back when, and it still really seems to ring true today. A little bit goes a long way with those guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Literally. So you have a club, you have a parent club. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. We okay. have the International Silken Windhound Society. This was founded in 1999. That okay. is kind of where we started to lock everything in. So we've got the breed club that's been produced. We've accepted a breed standard and now we're kind of really making things officially official. And do you compete with your dogs in UKC, I think? Yes? Yes. Yep. So we gained UKC recognition or acceptance in 2011. That's our primary venue for confirmation. Sometime in the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. That's good. And is there a desire amongst your group of fanciers to compete at the AKC level? Is this something you expect to take forward into FSS, miscellaneous, and work your way up? Yes, yes, very much so. I would say a very good chunk of exhibitors in the breed are hoping for AKC acceptance. We can do a lot without it, but AKC really just opens doors. I mean, Mm -hmm. more availability for confirmation shows because UKC doesn't typically tend to have the same volume as AKC shows. Mm -hmm. So those of us that are wanting to do confirmation more primarily, that would be a better option. You know, Mm -hmm. all of the AKC venues, agility, fast cat, that kind of stuff, you know, I mean, right. It's just AKC. <laughs> right, right, right. No, that's the other hand. And the reason I ask, there are certain breeds, I mean, still today, Border Collies, Australian Shepherds, mm-hmm. some of these breeds that are so focused on the working piece and fear that the AKC will dilute the working ability mm-hmm. of their dogs. And I see it in my breed, wear hair pointers. So that was my question is, is this an AKC friendly club? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, there are definitely members that wouldn't ever shed mm-hmm. a tear to never see AKC <laughs> acceptance. But I think for the most part, you know, Silkins were really geared toward people that it's not that we don't focus on the working side of things because we love the function side of Silkins, getting to do lure sports and coursing and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I would say generally Silkins are just, they're in the types of homes that are doing AKC style things, you know, younger people that want to do fast cat and you know all that good stuff so Mm -hmm. i would say for the most part it seems like it's very much so something that the breed as a whole is really striving towards okay hang tight guys got a little bit of information for you we'll be right back to the podcast in a minute all right crew i hear from folks pretty much daily asking for a specific topic or for a series of podcasts on a topic so ask and you shall receive. (laughs) I've done all the hard work. I've sorted, searched, and compiled eight different albums from the archives on our most popular topics. And when I say there's a podcast for that, I ain't just a woofin. Getting yours today is super simple. Just jump on puredogtalk.com backslash store and click the PDT Albums image. And when you're in there, you're gonna find a collection of veterinary voices. You're gonna find a collection for breeding and whelping hands-on. You'll find Pure Dog Talk University on dog breeding. Love the breeds, up your game. Owner handlers, the interviews, events and sports. 
There is so much there. And once you're in those links, you'll be able to read the details of the topic. For a special introductory price of a buck ninety-nine, you get a link to dozens, up to more than a hundred episodes on these specific topics. And while you're there, if you or a friend or family member are just getting started, even just starting a search for your first well-bred purebred dog, you can also check out Auntie Laura's Beginner's Guide to Show Dogs at puredogtalk.com backslash book to get the foundational Pure Dog Talk episodes with bonus tracks. So hop on it, y'all. These special prices will not last. We touched on this a little bit at the top, but talk to me about the breeder community in Silkins because they do seem to have a much better reputation amongst the dog cognizantia, you know, than a lot yes. of the other more recently developed breeds. The American Bullies, the conversation I was having with that gal is that they're struggling <sighs> with the yeah. reputation and trying yeah. to get more acceptance and involvement and mentorship from preservation yeah. breeders. So let's talk about that. Why is that, do you think? That is such a good question. And so much of that just feels like, I mean, we've bottled lightning in a jar for Silkins. Like, mm-hmm. I can't say that there's been any one particular thing or component that has really seemed to help the breeder community be as willing to do the health testing. And mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, you know, we have our fair share of those that aren't necessarily, you know, striving for that kind of stuff. And every breeding program is going to have their own priorities. So that is what it is. But I think as a whole, the community, the breed community is amazing, extremely supportive, welcoming, kind, for the most part. And I think that just kind of bubbles over into the breeder community because Mm -hmm. we have those types of people that are doing the breeding. And so I think that generally we've just gotten really, really lucky with some really amazing people that are willing to take this breed and help preserve it and move it forward. Yeah. I think that's been fascinating to interact with kind of on the edges. Like Mm -hmm. I've seen a few. You know what I'm saying? But that's, but you know, you hear the kind of pops up in conversation and you see it and on dog book, you know, and all the things. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's fascinating. So you mentioned a little bit, some of the things that are coming from the herding infusion early on in terms of health considerations, what other Mm -hmm. health considerations are you encountering? There's really not a ton that we as a breeder as a whole are super concerned about at this moment. There has been an uptick in discussion on heart health because we Mm -hmm. do have Borzoi and Whippet and Lurcher in our breed foundation. And those breeds have some issues of their own. And so those will bleed through into Silkins. And and that's been true. We've had Silkins with some cardiac concerns. So there has been a major movement in just even the last five years for breeders to be echoing dogs before breeding. And even after in the last year, we've had some really, really amazing Borzoi people that are within the Silken community help get a Holter program started so we can start a Holter rental. And that again, has just taken traction amazingly. Everyone's just like, I want to do it. I want to do it. So (laughs) Peer pressure is a fabulous way to, no, (laughs) I am deadly serious. Peer pressure is how you push forward a health testing. I promise you this is a thing. In there through the, I was president of the National Club for Wire Hair Pointers when the chick program was Mm -hmm. developed. And I can absolutely tell you that I watched it happen. It was incredible. Yeah. So you said something right there that I think is really interesting. I wanted to go back to that there Mm -hmm. are Borzoi breeders Mm -hmm. that are involved in Silkins. That feels like maybe that's part of the answer 
right? Like you mm-hmm. have involvement and buy-in from, if you will, real purebred dogs, right? Yes. Like, I don't mean that to be dismissive. I'm saying that is, no. there's a perspective out there, right? Yes. And yes. that I think is going to be an answer that is interesting to me. Yes, yes. We have a very good chunk of our silken breeders have history in Borzoi first. Francie Still, the founder, was in Borzoi first. I mean, most of our old breeders have history in Borzoi and then came to silkens. And a lot of them still breed both. And I definitely agree, you know, coming from an older, more established breed, I think that gives those breeders perspective and experience and knowledge with how to take what they've got and help it to contribute and move forward as well. Yeah, I think that that is definitely something that I guess I didn't really realize how connected the Borzoi community was to the Silken community. Yes, yes. I would say (laughs) most of the people that have their hand in the Silken Mm -hmm. pot (laughs) have history with Borzoi. And you talked about the herding to Silken pipeline, which I just think is such a fabulous (laughs) like turn of phrase. Who do you see as sort of your core fanciers right now? Is it a younger demographic than you see in a lot of other breeds? Is that what I'm hearing a little bit? I mean, from my experience, yes. Most of the people that I am exhibiting with frequently in sports shows, I mean, they're people that are younger than 40 most of the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have your outliers, but they are outliers. Most of the breed community, I would say we are trending very young right now. There's noting out there in the world. (laughs) And I think that the tie-in, or if you will, the similarity that I'm hearing between these two newly developed breeds that I've just talked to people, the Silkins and the American Bullies, is looking for something that didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And in a more companion level type of breed, which I think personally explains Mm -hmm. a lot of the explosion of doodle mania out Mm -hmm. there. People aren't doing the jobs that the original breeds were developed to do. And society has changed. And the prey drive that you need to chase a bunny isn't the prey drive that a lot of people can live with in our modern society. Yeah. I mean, being that a lot of our participants of Silkins are younger, we're looking at people that are out hiking more, doing more park things, going to patios, that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. And so generally, people aren't looking for a dog to take out and hunt their next meal. And, you know, Francie developed Silkins as a companion. You know, she was looking for a medium-sized sighthound that could be a very elegant companion. Right. Arm um, candy. And, That's why I always think of yes. Borzoi, arm candy. But yes. Borzoi are very, very tough arm candy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So do you find um, the temperament in the Silkins to be just easier going generally? Yes, generally, I would say, and they should be just a very, very easy, do anything, take anywhere type of dog, you know, mm-hmm. not a whole lot of energy. And the good ones are really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sorry, that's true in any breed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've got, you know, my wire hair pointer out there, he's basically practically perfect. So <laughs> talk then if the good ones are really, really good, what happens when they go off the rails? Well, unfortunately, temperament as a whole is something that we are focusing on in the breed right now. Not trying to get into the politics of breeding practices, but ideally what should be happening and what the breed club stands with is that ill-fitting temperaments should be soft cold. You know, we're not breeding these, we're not passing this on, especially because temperament is just, it's so hard to 
fight. The nastiness will hide for so long, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So right now, the current stance is just to not continue to breed those issues forward. Okay. And so when they pop up, are you seeing dogs that are dog aggressive more than human aggressive or skittery? Or what are you seeing that's your problem that you're trying not to move forward with? Both. I would say right now, the bigger issue as a whole is going to be timidity and fearfulness mm-hmm. and security, you know, lack of confidence. So okay. that I could is- see that combination producing that sort of temperament. <laughs> yes. Yes, we have some sharpness. It does seem to be more common, you know, of the sharpest we see issues with other dogs, but there have definitely been several individuals with human aggression. Interesting. Um, So is it more towards a fear aggression kind of thing? Like you're talking about the timidity or not necessarily? I think it could be a little bit of both. Interesting. I don't have a ton of experience with the individuals that I'm thinking of with these issues. So it's hard to say for sure. The lines that are behind these individuals, I would say, trend towards more of the timidity. So I would be comfortable saying that it's likely rooted in fear aggression. But there have been some that I would be aware of is somebody. Yes. Yeah. You know, if somebody's deciding that this might be a good fit for them and want to be involved, that that would be something that they would look for. Absolutely. You know, asking the breeder about the temperament issues behind their lines because they're there. Mm -hmm. If a breeder is telling you that they've never had temperament issues in their lines, you need to run very far and very fast. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) Okay. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, they're getting farther and farther away, but, you know, Mm -hmm. just being aware of being pragmatic, I think is the biggest way that we're going to take this Mm -hmm. and really Mm -hmm. move forward with breeding it out. 100%. Always the test and tell, right? I mean, that's Mm -hmm. the basic concept. Okay, so moving forward, you have a club. Are you looking at acceptance or recognition at like Canadian Kennel Club or FCI or some of these other countries as well as the American Kennel Club? Yeah, yeah. So Silkins actually have FCI in a couple countries um, out in Europe already. Yep. So we've got Hungary, we've got Belgium, we have Switzerland, and just this week we've got Germany FCI. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So. Very cool. Yeah. So I think as a whole, and I'm not really sure about the Canadian silken community, but they're pretty similar to us. I would reckon that they're also aiming for Canadian acceptance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you talked, just wanted to touch briefly on the coat. You said it's a really low maintenance coat. Now, I don't mm-hmm. necessarily consider Borzoi to have a low maintenance coat. So mm-hmm. <laughs> is yeah. it just a less undercoat or not as long or what's the coat type like? I would say less undercoat because everyone that has borzoi and silkens has said that their silken sheds a third of what their borzoi mm-hmm. shed. Mm-hmm. And it's not always that it's a shorter coat. I mean, it's, I would say, you know, pretty typical if you just size down a borzoi, that's mm-hmm. about the same amount of coat, but I think definitely less undercoat for sure. Mm-hmm. So apartment size, do we yes. think of them? Is this something that is appealing to people? They fit in a townhouse, they fit in a condo, they fit in an apartment. Yeah. And I think, again, a lot of our demographic is people in those housing situations. I don't think it's impossible, but I think just like other sight hounds, if you are looking for this breed and you do live in one of those places, you have to be very cognizant of the fact that they are still a sight hound. They do developmentally still very much so need that free running several times a week at minimum. So Mm -hmm. I would caution the people that, you know, live in apartments and townhouses and those types of things that if that is something you're looking for, it's a commitment to making sure that you are doing your due diligence to bring them up structurally in a way that they can still develop properly. Yeah, structurally and mentally that they can get to run and do the things. Yes, yes. Excellent. But otherwise, yes. All right. So do you have 
I guess maybe like a timeline. So you have the UKC approval, you have some FCI approval. Do you happen to know where the club is in the process of looking forward to AKC recognition or starting that process? Yes. So generally, as of right now, it seems that we are looking at about 2039 mm-hmm. because the FSS has a requirement that we have to have a registry that's at least 40 years old. And so um, I think they're currently basing it on the creation of our breed club. And that's kind of where you know things got officially official. So mm-hmm. 1999, 40 years out, we're looking at about 2039. Wow. That's a long-term project. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we're willing to wait. We don't want to. Right. We'll check all the boxes we have to Mm -hmm. to get this goal. And can you give me an idea how many people, how many owners, I mean, that's part of the process I know for FSS, how -hmm. many individual dogs exist around the world? Thousands, thousands, tens of thousands. I mean. Okay. Not a low number problem. Oh, no, not at all. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right, you guys. Well, there you go. Ashlyn, thank you so much for sharing about your developing breed. I love this. And for listeners, we're going to have some photos, some links if you guys want to learn more. And like I said, I know this is a little bit of a spicy topic, but I think the only way we learn is we talk to people and we find out more, right? Absolutely. 100%. All right. Ashlyn, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks for having me. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk. 